Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. First Corinthians, starting in chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I'm going to be giving you a little introduction. A little background. No other letter in the New Testament gives us a more practical picture of applying Christian faith to day-to-day application of life than 1 Corinthians. Topics such as career and your calling, the value of work, stewardship, overcoming individual limitations, the development of skills, and the gifts that God has given you, stewardship, and the use of money and possession are all topics that are mainly talked about in this book. And all these things have a common denominator, and it's love. Love is the purpose, the meaning, and glory behind all things done in Christ. The Apostle Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth, which he founded on his second missionary journey in A.D. 48 to 51, is impact with practical doctrine for Christians facing everyday challenges. It provides Paul's instruction to the Corinthians grappling with real-life issues, including conflicts of loyalty, class difference, conflicts between personal freedom and the common good, the difficulty in leading a diverse group of people to accomplish the same mission. In Paul's time, Corinth was the most important city in Greece, Sitting across the neck land of a peninsula in the mainland of Greece, Corinth controlled both the Saronic Gulf to the east and the Gulf of Corinth to the north. If you could put up that map, I'll show you. Uh, if you see where that star is up there, I don't know if you can see the star. There's Corinth, and the peninsula is next to it. Greece is up top. And a lot of that, uh, a lot of those goods that was flowing between those two places is what made Corinth the empire that it was, or it is. Corinth is called wealthy because of its commerce, since it's sat on that peninsula and master of two harbors. It it was one that leads straight into Asia and the other to Italy. Corinth was one place that 
it might be possible with a little luck and hard work to establish oneself and enjoy a reasonably good life. This contributed to the unique character of Corinth, which viewed itself as prosperous and self-sufficient, a city whose core values made other cities in today's world aspire to have that same philosophy. Paul continued to be intensely interested in the development of Corinth, even after he left. Paul had written the congregation at least one letter prior to 1 Corinthians in order to address the problems that had come up after his departure. In Corinthian style, competing groups were created and parties were formed around their favorite apostles in order to gain status for themselves. Many were up in arms due to the serious differences over different behaviors and business ethics of some of their members. Then another group of representatives from the church arrived with the letter in hand, asking Paul about the number of important issues, such as marriage, the priority of eating meat, and had been previously offered to idols and worship. Finally, Paul had learned from one of these sources that some in the Corinth church were denying the future resurrection of believers. These questions hardly grew out of academic discussion. The Corinthians wanted to know how, as followers of Christ, they should act in matters of daily life. Paul gives the answers throughout this book, making it one of the most practical books of the New Testament. So if you start in verse 1, it says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ, of Jesus Christ, through the will of God, and Sothenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place called on his name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both there and ours. So in verse 1, it says, called to be an apostle. At the beginning of the letter, its very first few words, Paul is declaring his credentials, as it is evident in, from 1 and 2. Paul's standing and authority as an apostle were not appreciated among the Christians of Corinth. Call to be an apostle is literal. A called apostle. Paul is letting you know what kind of apostle he is. The word apostle means one who is sent out. In the New Testament, there are two primary uses of the word apostle. The first is referring to the twelve apostles of Christ Jesus. The second is referring to another individual who, other individuals who are sent out 
to be messengers or ambassadors of Christ Jesus. Paul knows that he's not one of the twelve apostles, but he's on the same level with them because, like them, he was chosen by God. Paul continues to write, an apostle of Christ Jesus through the will of God. Paul has already begun, begun contending with the Christians of Corinth. It is as if he is saying, you may not recognize my credentials as an apostle. That is a little important to me because I am not an apostle because of a popular election. I am not an apostle through an appointment of other apostles. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Not by the will of any man, but through the will of God. He knows why he's here, to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. A spokesman with inspired authority. And he knows how he got here, by the will of God. And he knows where he comes from, from a God who will governs the world and guides all affairs of men. He knows where he's going to speak the truth for the King of Kings and calls everyone to submit to his lordship. I believe every, everyone who is a child of God he wants them to have that clear self-understanding of who they are and what God wants for them. And in verses 2 and 3, let's look at sanctified or sanctify. It means to set apart or declare. So here those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus are set apart for everything else in the world other than God. And when the true God calls them to be saints, they answer and call upon the name of Christ Jesus. So that's what you and I have to be doing as Christians. That is what being a Christian is. is to be set apart from everything of the world. And when God calls you to be saints and follow him, you answer his name. As you see here in verse 3, and as you see throughout the New Testament, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you see here, it says grace and then peace. It's always grace and then peace. It's never the other way around. You'll always see grace come before peace because Without grace, you truly don't have peace. Verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift, 
eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always. Paul will, as you will see as we go through this book, will spend most of the letter rebuking and correcting what was done wrong. Yet he's still thankful about what God has done in everyone's life. I think in the church we should follow Paul's example. Many times we hear correction and rebuke and no encouragement. Paul thanks God for the grace which he is given by Jesus Christ. Everything good in Corinth they got from because God has given them grace. Everything we have in our lives is from the grace of God. And we don't deserve anything. We don't even deserve his grace. But we get it because he loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us. Paul thanks God because they have accepted salvation as God's gift. And that gift comes by Jesus Christ. Paul speaks about God's spiritual gifts to the Corinthians at Corinth. He mentions how they speak. He talks about how they understand. The letter shows that the Christians at Corinth had become very proud of these gifts. Here he says the gifts show that they have believed the good news about Jesus. The words grace and gift show that they have no right to praise themselves. I think as Christians we have to remember to give glory where it's due. I think a lot of people think that if they succeed it's all about them. I just think about the gifts that we have here at this church. For example, on the worship team. I think a lot of people worship and they think it's a big show and all the lights are on them and you have to remember that that gift of singing you got from the Lord and you have to remember to praise Him when you're worshiping and not all about you. Verse 8. Who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul also reminds the Christians at Corinth that God will keep their faith strong. He will do so until Christ returns. God has chosen them to share Christ's life. Paul is pleading with them. As an apostle called by the will of God, he has some authority to do so. So Paul is pleading, begging them to be unified as believers. You see in 10, Now I plead to you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you will speak the same thing and that 
there will be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. As believers, we have to come together and continue to spread the good news as one. Because if when we're divided, God is the true one that is hurt by that. Verse 11. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, and there are contention among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am Paul, or I am Apollos, or I am Cephas, or I am Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified in you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Chloe was a Christian woman whose business interest caused those of her household to travel between Ephesus and Corinth. Paul is writing this letter from Ephesus where these people from Chloe's household had visited and told him about what's happening in the Corinthian church. Where it says, Contentions among you. The Christian church is suffering under conflicts. Conflicts that made them divide into parties or cliques. Each party having their own leader, as we see here. There was a Paul party. Those who were following the footsteps of a man who founded the church. The Apostle Paul. Then there was the Apollos party who said they were following the footsteps of a man who was a great power of spiritual gifts. They think they were the ones really right with God. There was the Cephas or Peter party. And they say they were following the footsteps of a man who was first among the apostles. Jesus gave him the keys to the kingdom of heaven and they believed that they were the ones that were right with God. And there is a Christ or Jesus party who are following after, who weren't following after mere men. We are following the footsteps of no one less than Jesus himself. And later on, In the book, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred myself to Apollos for your sake, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Although division is ungodly, it is not wrong to make decisions between churches and ministers. God has made different churches and different ministries 
with different callings for different people. Because the job of preaching the gospel is far too big for any one group. As it says back in verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or are you baptized in the name of Paul? This, these cliques destroy the unity of the church. When Paul says this, he shows how foolish we are to focus on anybody but Jesus himself. Sadly, we see too much of this in the church. These, the cliques, the gossiping, and the focus being more about socializing in the church than going to church for the things of God and hearing his word. Too many times there's people going to events just because they want to meet people and socialize and not actually go to hear the word and get fed and grow in their relationship with the Lord. And that's not what he wants for us. He wants us to seek him and serve him and share his good news to people who don't know him and with people who do know him. 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Some of the Corinthian Christians made a big deal of the fact that they were baptized by Paul. Because it was starting to cause hostility between the people, Paul was therefore grateful that he did not baptize many of the people. Paul did baptize Crispus, mentioned in Acts 18.8, and Gaius, mentioned in Romans 16.23. For Paul, preaching was far more important than baptizing, even though he did baptize some. But as it says at the end of verse 16, I do not know whether I baptized any other. So we didn't keep a tally of who we baptized because it wasn't as important to him. He didn't regard baptism an essential piece to salvation. Preaching was what he was sent out to do. And I'm sure... He remembered all of his, 
the people that he converted because that is what he was sent out to do by the will of God to preach. At the end of verse 17, Paul says, it is possible to preach the gospel in a way that makes no effect. If someone preaches the word and relies on word and and wisdom and tries to wow or dazzle people that he's teaching, the gospel will have no effect. It just boggles my mind about that, that someone could take the word and somehow make it have no effect. I don't know how that's possible, but maybe um, through the pride and the cleverness of men. This was constantly in the mind of Paul and should be in in the mind of any preacher or teacher. If you just teach the word of God and that's it, there's no need for flesh or fancy words or trying to dazzle the crowd. I think a lot of times if you flip through the stations, you see people up there who are just trying to win you over by their words. And their words are not really words that mean anything. It's just words that sound good and make you feel that everything's going to be okay. And things aren't always going to be okay. And I think that's what preaching the word is really about, the truth. And I think the more you teach the truth, the more people will know just how awesome God is through those trials. When you go through those trials and you come out on the other side, that makes people have a better relationship with the Savior. So again, there's no need for flesh or, or big dazzling stuff because this is all the flesh you need right here. This is all the dazzle that people are going to need if they just believe. I feel that in my life and times, I didn't really look to the Bible. I didn't really look to the ways of God. I tried to handle things on my own. It worked out none of the time. Go figure that when I looked away from God, things got worse and worse. I had to find myself again, and I had to uh, focus on Him and focus on the truth focus on good people that are around me and continue to strive to uh, have a better relationship with the Lord. And I think that we all have to remember that as we are going through our weeks and our days when things are not looking so good. You just have to focus on the Lord and pray and constantly getting his word 
and know that nobody but the Lord could help you with your problems or your, your issues of life. And getting back to the, the part about having no effect, knowing that, again, people could preach the word of God and it not sink in because of pride. That's never what I would like to do when I'm giving messages or when I'm telling someone about the Lord. I want to make sure that they walk away with the truth and come away with knowing that God is on their side. And I think we all have to take that into consideration when we're just around people. Just speak the truth and let the Lord just do his thing and it'll all be good. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.